the original prognosis, and I don't remember this, is that I would not be able to feed myself, I'd be in a wheelchair, etc. And I think I'm just trying to prove people wrong that no, you can have a head injury and it can be really bad, but actually, like, you can, you can do anything you want. And I think I'm trying to show people that if you put your mind on something, you actually can do anything, no matter where you're from, what you're doing. Yeah, so I suppose I'm just determined and I just like showing people that I can do things even if they. Welcome to the 5W's podcast. What works for who, in what context, and why? My name is Kevin Shattock, and the podcast forms part of my professional doctorate at Leeds Beckett University, exploring a biopsychosocial approach to athlete development, supervised by Professor Kevin Till and Dr. Tom Mitchell. Each episode, a unique perspective on the subject is offered in relation to the lived experiences of current athletes or coaches, reflections from former athletes or coaches, and theoretical conceptual frameworks from academia. The podcast seeks to be a relevant form of knowledge exchange for a wide range of practitioners interested in athlete development, strength conditioning, and sports coaching. I hope you enjoy the show. Georgina, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Great to talk to you today. Uh, One, great to have an Olympian on the programme and obviously kind of discussing the lead up to that Paris 2024 on the horizon, but again, looking at what works for you within your sporting environment. But before we jump into that main discussion, would you be so kind as to give the listeners whatever information you feel necessary about yourself? (laughs) So hi, I'm Georgie, I'm 30 um, and I'm originally from Leeds, very proud. I have always been sporty as a child and I was like mega into horses until up about the age 17, 18 when I went to uni Um, and I did a lot of running when I was at school. I used to be on the cross-quidge team as well and and do, do things like that but anything to do with having a ball such as netball or hockey or anything, I was so bad at. Um, so I just stuck to running and horse riding, and they, they were great. Then I went to uni of Northampton. Didn't do anything in my first year, just kind of enjoyed university, going out, you know, that lifestyle. And then in my second year, my dad actually suggested, he's never rode, but he was always like, he always like kind of fancied it. Um, so I joined the rowing team just to be like, oh, you know, might meet some more people there. And I tried out for a programme. I, I joined it and there isn't really a rowing club at Northampton. Um, but the the coach there was like, oh, you know, you could be good because you're quite tall and things and you're quite naturally strong. So I tried out for a programme called GV Start in my second year uh, where they take people that have like no history of rowing or very little and that have good attributes such as being tall, long limbs, naturally strong and fit. Um, and they test you out, and if you pass, then they'll try and take you on and see what you have, see if you have what it takes to be an international athlete. And I didn't get on the programme, and that was that. And then in my third year, I was like, no, I'll kind of do it a bit, but not really. And and I had a bit of illness in my family, so I just kind of stopped my third year. Um, and then I finished uni, and I didn't really have anything to do. Noticed I was getting a bit porky, and so... <laughs> thought I'll join Leeds Rowing Club um, and just give that a go again and just did it for a bit of fun, just a bit social, meet people in Leeds. And then I just kind of noticed I was a bit better than everyone else. That sounds really pretentious, but <laughs> uh, I tried out for GB Start again and then I was successful. So then I lived in Leeds with my parents and trained in York um, six days a week, full time. And then after about two or three years of that, I made the move down south to Henley, where I joined the very prestigious and world-renowned rowing club Leander in Henley-on-Thames, and that's sort of a feeder club into Team GB. They, you know, they give you loads of opportunities to be noticed by them. And then, yeah, I got onto Team GB fully about two or three years ago, and I'm now world champion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. What a great story, because... Rowing, it's not an early specialisation sport, but generally rowers have been doing been doing it from an early age. 
you know, I, I yeah. think the technical aspect of the sport is often underplayed. And if you've done it from an early age, so what is it about your physical attributes? You've talked there about you think you're strong that make you one a good athlete, but two a world champion rower. One of my parents, I'm going to say my dad, but I'm not entirely sure because <laughs> I'm not from a sporty family at all. Um, I think I was born, some people can be born just very aerobic and like naturally very fit and I find getting fitter quite easy. Um, and I think I do have some good genes for being fit and strong. So I think I was always fit and strong, really. Um, so, yeah, I think that really helped. Yeah, a lot down south there's it's a lot more accessible to row you would only start rowing anyway from 12 would really be the earliest because it is so hard on your body people's bodies aren't developed enough to tolerate it before the age of 12 and I would say 13 14 is probably easier so a lot of my teammates started as a junior down south in London or wherever and yes they did have a lot more a lot more experience, things like that. I started properly. I got to GB start at the age of 22, so I was, like, way behind them. But I was quite naturally fit and strong, and I was always already, like, beating them or matching up to them on the rowing machine in the gym. So, yeah, my thing has been catching up with the technique and things like that. That's been my challenge, to get good at the technique. And it's taken me, how long have been doing it now? Eight years um, to get there. But I'm finally sort of level with them, you know, and... We're all moving on together, but there are still things that I struggle with, and people are still teaching me things. But same with everyone on the team, you know, we're all learning. So, talking about genetics, come from up north, uh, Leeds, yeah. which is great. Um, you know, is, is the family background farming or, or some kind of activity? Where do you think those genetics from? Is mum and dad, you know, really tall? Are they broad? Talk to me about that genetics. My mum's tiny. <laughs> um, my dad is, I'm uh, 5'10", 178 centimetres, and he would like to think he was a centimetre or two taller than me, but he's not, or he's shrinking. So <laughs> I don't think my mum's ever been involved in any sports. And I think my dad did mountain biking, but not professionally at all. But I think he enjoyed that. So he was quite fit kind of in his 20s, 30s. Um, he doesn't do that anymore. Um, I've got three brothers, all who are taller than me, and we're all we are all quite broad and well built and strong. Um, so I suppose they've got it. One, one, one brother, Thomas. He cycles, does a lot of cycling, and not professionally. He's a doctor, um, not professionally at all, but um, he he goes out cycling a lot. So, and I think he does sport too. And William and Edward, my other two brothers, not sporty at all, at all but not bothered. <laughs> And talk to me about your what you perceive as your psychological makeup because you came to the sport late. You had a opportunity for talent transfer. It didn't work out the first time. It could have been quite easy for you to say, yeah, this is obviously not my sport. I tried it. You know, I can say it to my dad, I give it a try for you. It didn't work out. I'll stick to my running. I'll maybe get back into the horses. Talk to me about what very quickly people would see as a resilience to you as an adaptability to say I'm going to keep going even though I've been knocked back first time and it would be quite easy if you were 14 or 15 to say well keep going you know there's another opportunity one or two years but because you came to the sport quite late it would probably be quite easy to be like ah well I had a go what is it do you think about you that was driven when all those obstacles were in your way I think I just really love proving, not proving people wrong. Well, I suppose the person on GB Start, when I first tried out the coach there, she did say no. And yeah, I just love proving people wrong and showing people what I can do. And yeah, I've just got a lot of determination. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Um, I think, so when I was 15, as I say, I was really into horses, horse mad. Um, I had a really bad horse riding accident that left me in a coma for nine days and paralysed on my left-hand side. And I was at school, and at 15, you kind of, you know, you got your friends and everything, and and that was quite a hard time. And I, I think um, I never wanted that to put me back or anything. And so I think I was just trying to 
the original prognosis, and I don't remember this, is that I would not be able to feed myself, I'd be in a wheelchair, etc. And I think I'm just trying to prove people wrong that no, you can have a head injury and it can be really bad, but actually like you can do anything you want. And I think I'm trying to show people that if you put your mind on something, you actually can do anything, no matter where you're from, what you're doing. Yeah, so I suppose I'm just determined and I just like showing people that I can do things even if they think I can't. <laughs> and do you recognise before the accident that resilience or do you think that was a key moment that changed, I don't want to say your personality, but changed that drive and changed, I am going to do this, I'm not going to hold it Hold it back? Or was that part of you before the accident and it just it reveals it a little bit more? I think that was probably part of me before the accident. Um, but I do think my accident did reveal it a bit more and did bring it out of me a bit more. And yeah, I think having three brothers that were, were all like quite competitive and, you know, Tom's the doctor, William's got a PhD, you know, I've got a twin brother. I think that's always, I'm always going to want to like, you know, match up to them. And there's a little bit of not competition there at all, but, you know, you want to be as good as your brothers, you know, your big brothers. So I suppose that's always like driven me. Um, but yeah, I probably, my husband was like quite a big thing. And yeah, I just wanted to prove people after, to, to people after that, that I could do anything. And yeah, and I don't think about that much all, at all, but um yeah, it is always there that I can do this. And especially that I, I got told no the first time. I think that really switched something in me that was like, no, what you said, no, but I'm going to prove you wrong that I can do it. And I've proven them wrong. <laughs> so mission accomplished. Definitely. And rowing's a sport where you spend a lot of time together. You know, we'll talk about your, your training frequency later, but most rowers, they're training for two, three times a day at least six days a week or a block where they get a rest. You're currently in a training camp where, you know, you're going to be rooming with at least one person, if not two. So from a social point of view, what do you think you bring to that environment? Yeah, it's really hard. The social aspect is really hard balance to get. Yeah, I think I'm quite a quiet person. I'm a bit of an introvert. And so I'm quite good at listening and just taking instructions. But then there are other people on the squad that are very like loud and like giving instructions and I'm just happy to receive them. And yeah, I do challenge them sometimes if I don't agree with them or say like why. I ask questions like why are we doing this? And they have to explain it to me in the boat. And as I said, like I started a bit later, so I do ask questions like, you know, I'm always learning like why do you think we should do that and things like that. So I think I'm quite a good listener and quite quiet. So I think that balances out some people that are a bit louder because I think if you have too many loud people, there'll just be a clash. But yeah, it's quite mentally hard because I'm on a team with all with all my friends and I absolutely love them all. It's great. But also there's only a limited amount of seats in a boat. And so we're also competing against each other in singles. But then we have to come together as a team. We also have to drive everyone because you're only as strong as the weakest person on the team. So you need to be behind everyone. You can't be self-centred. But then you also need yourself to do well. And, you know, I actually... I'm the quickest on the ergo and I don't want anyone to take that away from me. So I'm also doing it for myself, but I want to bring this out. It's so hard to get the the balance right. But I think we do, we know when to switch off, switch on. Like sometimes on the water, there'll be, you know, uh, disagreements, but that happened on the water. And then you just kind of drop it, sort it out as soon as you're on land and it's completely different. And, you know, we all hang out with each other in between sessions and on our breaks and stuff. and. Apart from me, I'm I'm a bit of a learner. <laughs> I like to just, as I say, I'm an introvert and I just like my own space, but it works, um, you know. You make a really good point because rowing is a funny sport that you are in direct competition with the people in your environment. You could argue in team sports that's always the case, but there's an element of rotation in team sports. Let's say I play football and I'm a centre midfielder there's probably going to be two other sentiment feelers in the squad, but there'll be some rotation there, whatever. Rowing, you are in direct competition for that seat. You know, and if you're in seat four, you probably can't be moved to seat two to rotate. It, you, you know, you're in seat four, that is what you row. So do you recognise anything that you do 
to try and keep that balance and harmony when you need to be friends with someone, but you also recognise you are my direct competition. That must be difficult. So you've talked about being quite quiet, introverted. Do you recognise anything else that you do to make sure that environment doesn't turn toxic, which I'm guessing it probably quickly can do? Um, we have a psychologist that comes in, so we do a lot of work with mental health because it can really, when I started wearing and when I started getting onto TGB and things like that, mental health was really hard because it is really hard to find a balance. So we do a lot of work with Jeff, our psychologist, and then there's external um, therapy that we can have and things like that. So you just kind of learn to deal with it. And also everyone's going through the same thing. Everyone actually has the same feelings. And I feel like this cohort of athletes since Tokyo 2020, 2021, there was a new cohort of athletes that came in. And I feel like we're all really open with each other and we all understand that everyone has feelings. So we all kind of figure out a balance ourselves and there are like loads of different things, but you do just kind of get used to it and then start using it to your advantage, you know. So take me through a normal training week. I know you're on camp at the minute. What is that looking like day to day? As you say, three sessions a day. So, and that's six days a week. Normally when we're back in the UK at the moment, we're on, I think it's a 16 day camp. And you do three session day, three session day, two session day, and have the afternoon off. And then that just repeats, I think five times, five and a bit times. So yeah, we'll do a water session usually in the morning, which will be two hours, 18, 20k, something like that. Then we'll have a break. Then we'll do another session that will usually be on the water again or on the rain machine. And that'll be sort of the same sort of thing. And then we'll go and we'll do like a one and a half, two hour weight session in the gym and lift some weights. And then we do, most of the week is built around getting fitter and things like that but then we'll do testing as well like and do a bit of anaerobic and a bit of racing and pieces in the week uh, usually two or three times a week yeah it all kind of depends as well where we are in the year and you know at the start of the year so sort of or the start of our season so sort of September to April it's all about getting fitter and that aerobic training and then from april as we come close to racing we'll start doing like shorter sessions but like um creating more lactic acid and getting used to it and, and racing pieces racing practices things like that so it depends where in the year we are as to what sort of training we're doing but it'll always usually be three sessions a day and then some days that we've got two sessions in the afternoon how are you managing that volume because I, I recognise that you are world champion, you're going to be an Olympic rower, you are an Olympic rower, sorry. But three sessions a day, it's just horrendous volume and I know you have to do it for the, the sport that you do. But how are you managing that volume? Are you doing things based on your heart rate? Are you testing your lactate when you do it? Are you doing subjective RPEs? Are you looking at power? You know, how do you know an afternoon session is going to be really hard or you're scoring it hard when you've just done 20k on the water on a morning? How are you saying, right, this is going to be this type of session? Well, we use all of those metrics that you just said. So we take a heart rate. I've always got a heart rate strap on or watch. Um, We do RPE. Um, We also do, you know, we have blood taken from my ears to test the lactate levels in it we do stuff like that but yeah you just kind of get used to it (laughs) I'm I'm so used to it now yeah when I started eight years ago it was really hard and I was always tired but you learn that you need to fuel yourself so well and you need a lot of sleep and when it's time to rest you rest and so then you just learn to cope with it but also, if you're not feeling well, then just flag it. And we have a physiologist, and she will take all those uh, tests, which is, you know, she'll look at our how much power we're putting down, our RP, our heart rate, and things like that. And, you know, she'll pull you if you need to be pulled a little bit and, like, tell you to calm down a bit or, you know, she'll tell you that you, you're doing great 
push on. Um, so there, and, and like the coaches, and you can say to them, I'm, I didn't sleep well last night, um, and they'll say, okay, take it easy today. So it's all quite flexible around each individual athlete and what they need. And talk to me about your motivation, because, you know, most people struggle with one session a day or, or three to four sessions a week. Do you, with your psychologist, do you explore motivational frameworks, you know, self-efficacy, self-termination? Because, you know, let's say it's day 14 now of your camp. What's that? 20, 30 odd sessions in, you still have to have the same energy, focus and enthusiasm for that session that you had on session one, day one. Do you recognise that motivation or do you do anything to try and encourage that enthusiasm? Um, so, I mean, some sessions, you know, we are tired and there is a lack of motivation and the coaches are really like, come on girls, you can do it, you know, and they have to motivate us. But most of the time we have that goal that we want a gold Olympic medal in July. Um, and so I kind of think that pushes everyone on and we don't really need much motivating I, I know why I'm doing it and I've I'm currently world champion and I know what it feels like to win such a big race like that that yeah I know what every session is for and also um yeah we became world champion and so I know that those sessions are worth it you know so that kind of thinking back to those memories um yeah and then thinking of what could be in the future really just drives us anyway and and also I enjoy it so yeah, it can be really hard, but it's fun, hard work, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> so talk to me about that environment, because you were world champion, you're Olympian, you are part of arguably a world class, I would say, Great Britain, rowing, cycling, swimming can argue they are world class programs, elite programs that are the best in the world. So what is it about that environment that gives you the confidence that you can perform on the world stage, world champions, Olympics? Everything is put into us. There is no stone left unturned. So, yeah, we have all our coaches that are, like, amazing coaches and coaches, technical things that we can make better and things like that. We have... On the boats, we can add wires and sensors and stuff and do biomex so we can look at every like where our power is being put in, like where we're sitting on the seat, how much power is going through each leg, how much swivel we have on the gates. You can look at everything to do with that. So we have that. I know the programme is really good and I know I'm like really, really fit um, and we train so hard and that's why we do it. Yeah, I just think no, no stone is left unturned. So I just think we're doing everything we can to get that medal. And how hard is it knowing you are part of that world-class programme and what has gone before you and in a way trying to live up to that status of we are GB rowing, we have won so many gold medals, you know, going back 20, 25 years. Does that put pressure on? Does that build a certain aspiration for the program how does that work when you know that you are part of a world-class program that expects gold medals I'm not scared by it or anything like that I think that's kind of exciting because I know that we are good as a country and I know that the training works and the programme is always developing, as the whole world is developing, but we are always developing. So our programme is better than 20 years ago. So therefore, we should be able to do better. Um, so I kind of think that excites us. And also we can use experiences from past, past athletes. Um, so we have a mentor called Fran and she's been to five Olympics previously. And so, you know, I use experiences from her, I get advice from her. So um, we have all the experience and advice from people that came before us. And then now we have more training, better facilities, things like that. So that it kind of excites me that, yeah, we, we can only do better. That can only drive us forward. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it's just exciting and it doesn't scare me at all. You spoke there about having a mentor. How do they assist with 
one, driving the standards, as you've said, but actually also controlling that internal state where you recognise that we need to be pushing for podium places at World and Olympics, but also controlling, you know, when you're always on the water in the start line, not letting that expectation overcome you. How is that discussed within the environment? With Fran, the mentor, yeah, I kind of talked to her. She's given me loads of things of what to think on the start line and how to block out the nerves and things like that. And just what she did in her past experiences and how she dealt with nerves and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I can get her advice like that. I get advice from her about, like, dynamics in the boat, you know. What did she feel when she was in a quad? Um, how did she deal with this? And, like, maybe different personalities in the quad and things like that. Yeah, things I get technical advice from her. But she knows that rowing has moved on since she was rowing, so she does give me technical advice, but we're working on different things now. So, yeah, I just use Fran for, like, loads of different things, but... Really, I use Fran as just someone, a bit of an outlet I can just talk to. And, yeah, she gives me advice from her past experiences because that's all she has. You know, she's she's not a coach now. Um, she's got a, a different sort of job. And so, yeah, she just gives me advice from her experiences. And how is that experience used? Because you talked there about vicarious experience, but as you've said, rowing has moved on in terms of technique, tactics, the support that you get so is it more the emotional support that you gain from your mentor or is it about what they went through and recognizing that there is similar experiences even though times have changed yeah I think it's a bit of both emotional support yeah you know if you're going through a tough time speak to Fran and she can tell you uh, maybe a different way of viewing something or she got that um, decision as well that wasn't so good or something like that and this is how she dealt with it and how she moved on with that and how she overcame it but yeah I also you know racing is racing yeah we have different uh, slightly different technical things that we do now than we did 20 years years ago but still sitting on the race race start line you still want to get from a to b as quick as possible and nerves have always existed so for me it's um getting some advice from front of how she dealt with nerves on the start line how she had like what she thought of um and things like that and and that will always exist nerves are nerves they're, they're always going to be there nerves don't change you know so yeah she can give me loads of advice on that and let's just say i've started working with you what is one thing you would like me to bring to that environment to drive your performance? For me as an individual, and everyone is really individual, but for me, I like people who are positive and not always like, do this better, do that better. You're not very good at this, not very good at that. I need like positivity because I'm look I'm always looking at well I can do this better I can do that better and I'm always a little bit negative so I need someone to be like yeah you, you know you're doing well with this that's improved blah blah um but also it's really hard because then also you don't want to be too positive and <laughs> um, you know there, there is a balance so it's just a coach that's really well balanced and and knows what you do need to work on but also adds in that positive um attitude as well and can see where you've improved and yeah you need to work on this but you're doing this and that's much better than what you were doing before you're not quite there yet you know so it is it's a really hard line to balance and every individual is different but for me it's I like positive coaches and talking about that individual nature what is one thing you would like me to know about you that would help that coach athlete relationship just that really, that um, just be really positive. You know, I'm already putting myself down in my head. So be a positive coach, work with me, set me goals, things like that. And do you think that internal state you've just talked about there, putting yourself down, it's probably a difficult question to answer, but is that a personal thing? Is that an athlete thing? Or is that a programme thing, that knowing that you are a world-class programme, I need to be at this standard, which I don't think I am? 
is an athlete thing where because you are operating at the level you operate at, you think you're never going to be good enough because you are chasing gold medals, you're chasing times, or do you think that's you as a, as a person? I think it's probably an athlete thing that I know that we can always be better and I want to be better. So I'm always looking for what I can improve to make me quicker, make the boat quicker, um, make me stronger, anything like that. So I'm always looking at like, what can I tweak? What can I do here? What can I do there? I can straighten that arm more. I can do this, do that, you know? So I think it's an athlete thing that I just want the boat to go as quick as possible. So I'm trying to leave no stone unturned, but sometimes that can become a bit overwhelming. So as I say, yeah, I need a coach to kind of bounce out and put a bit of realism in it and be like, no, you have improved this, you know, we're not there yet, but you know, you are really on the, the road to improving that and you're doing well, you know, and also athletes are notorious for looking at not, not praising themselves for what they've done well and not being like, wow, I've, I just became world champion or I just won that race or I I straightened my arms and I kept them longer, you know. And so I think we need people to like bounce out of it. Uh, we always look at, oh, well, I lost that race and I didn't do very well there and I can't do that. And, and talking on that, I'm guessing with the support you get within GB Rowing, there must be video analysis, you know, you're able to watch races back. Why do you think that is the case that you're much more internal as in I didn't do this when there is possibly coaching evidence, video evidence to say, well, actually, you are doing this, Georgie. Why are athletes so hard on themselves? Nothing is imperfect and you can just always be quicker. You can always do better, um, always even when you won the gold medal, right, I'm looking at the next straight away, I'm looking at, right, how do I keep that gold medal, you know? There is just always somewhere to go and something else to do. So, um, yeah, I don't think any athlete, I don't think, would say they're ever fully satisfied with how they've done. I just think there's always places to go and always more speed to gain. And just talking about those behaviours, and especially being an Olympic year, how are you arriving at those group goals? Because I think a lot of Olympic squads now focus on that four-year cycle. You know, GB cycling, I think it's quite renowned for it, where if it's year two of the cycle, they don't really care about the world championships and getting the rainbow jersey. Their focus is on four years winning Olympic gold medal. Arguably, rowing is similar, that they're looking for Olympic goals. And I, you know, under Eddie Jones, even rugby is possibly exploring that they want to win World Cups now and what they do in the Six Nations in between that isn't really that important. So how are you arriving at the goals that you want? One, for that season, and two, for the bigger picture of that Olympic cycle. Are you going to your coach and saying, right, I'm world champion, I want that Olympic gold medal, or... Is the coach saying to you as a squad, right, the four, I want to win Olympic gold, the eight, the um, the scholars? How, how are you arriving at those goals that is driving that environment? Um, yeah, so we are like cycling where it kind of everything in an Olympiad is leading up to that Olympic final, everything we do. And, yeah, throughout each year we have uh, World Cups, Europeans, and then the world championships at the end and, and the the year kind of builds to the world championships at the end. But yeah, nothing is greater than the Olympics at the end of that four years. Um, you've got the world championships the year before the Olympics and their qualifiers for the Olympics. So obviously that's quite a big one as well. But yeah, the Olympics is the main thing. How do we arrive there? That is uh, probably to do with coaches and Andrew and they kind of identified boats that are the top boats, ones that maybe and will medal, um, hopefully. Ones that he just wants to qualify, ones that he wants to get to the A final. And I think that's down to the coaches. Um, and they organise that and we have selection strategies and and he kind of goes through what he wants to um wants to be the top boat and things like that. Um so yeah, that's for the coaches to 
sort out and I'm just put where I'm put and you know then I'll deal with it from there try and make that happen so talk to me about how you're managing those expectations you've spoke about being the quickest on the ergo but you've also then just talked about I'll go where I'm put so how you know let's say you are world champion I would imagine and I'm making a a sweeping statement here that you are seeking an Olympic gold this year in Paris. But how are you managing expectation where the coaches say, well, actually, Georgia, we think you would be better in this boat and they possibly don't have that expectation or you're at the World Championships and you don't quite do as well as you think you should. How are you managing that roller coaster of emotions operating at such a high level? Yeah, that is something that is really hard uh, because you don't want to set yourself such a high bar that it's somewhere to, it's a very long way to fall from. Um, and so that is something that you just kind of learn to manage. And again, you talk to psychologists, therapists and things like that. And I've had loads of work on overcoming anxiety and things. I think for the time being, while selection's going on, I'm never going to say I'm never going to be in that boat until I'm sat on that start line and I never set my expectations up too high. I will do everything I can to get there and hopefully I will be, but I'm never going to say that I'm going to be in that boat on the start line and we're going to win gold because that is a long way to fall from if it doesn't happen. Um, But I'm just going to work as hard as I can to enable myself to be there and just not expect it, never expect anything. Um, Nothing's ever a given in sport sport is a really really hard thing to do and so yeah I just never think yeah that's mine I'm getting you know I can have that um you've got to work hard for it yeah (laughs) I'm laughing because you have to work hard for it and earlier in the conversation you talk about three sessions a day for days weeks months how hard is that to not say that I deserve this you know, I'm sure everyone in that regatta could say that, that, you know, they're doing very similar things to you, that you're a world champion, that you've been doing this. What are you saying to yourself, if you can describe that, it might be difficult to describe, to not say to yourself that, yeah, you deserve this, or limit yourself in a way to say, don't think too far ahead, what what are those conversations like either with your peer group or internally to try and manage those thoughts and those feelings? Everything, and I've learned this over the years, um, don't think of the outcome, think of the processes. What can I do to make it more likely that the outcome that I want to happen will happen? So again, can I keep my arms straighter for longer? Can I get my legs down quicker? Can I... I don't know, get my blades in better, things like that. It's all about the process of how you get there. There's no point thinking of the outcome and what you want to happen because you'll never get that unless you do the processes to make you go that bit quicker. So, yeah, I just keep focused on the processes and how I can make the boat go quicker. And then hopefully it'll be the outcome that I want. But if I've done all those processes correctly to the best of my ability and I've left no stone unturned, then the outcome is the outcome. Yeah, and you just will deal with it when it comes. But hopefully it'll be the one you want because you've done everything you can. But where where is the limiting factor? Because sport is about a process and the level you compete at, the support you're given to understand those, those processes are high. Is there ever a point where you need to step back and say, I'm overanalyzing these things. I'm I'm kind of, I'm overthinking and I, I'm limiting myself because I'm looking at things that possibly don't need to be looked at in that exploration of no stone left unturned. Do, do you speak about those things? Do you recognize where that, that line is to think, well, actually, I don't need to think any more about that process because I, I'm i going to just set myself up for failure or, you know, my mental health is going to suffer 
because I'm I'm thinking too much about the sport or my technique or anything else. Yeah, and I suppose that's where um, a good relationship with coaches helps because um, coaches can really, they've done a lot of Olympiads. Andrew, our head coach, he used to be a rower back in his day, you know, so he understands where we're all coming from and, and he can help us. And, and, that, and if I'm thinking about something and he says, no, actually, Georgie, that is OK, this is actually a bigger thing. Yeah, so I, I think you just work closely with coaches, also your crewmates. Some, as I say, are, are a bit more experienced than me, so I get a lot of advice from them, and you know, they can help me out. And I can say, "What do you think about this?" What do, and they're like, "Actually, no, that's fine." Just you know, sometimes my crewmates say to me, "Just eighty percent, Georgie. We don't need a hundred percent because eighty percent is already very quick. And if you go hundred percent, you're just gonna, you know, hundred percent power. You're just gonna rip the blades through the water. So they're like, you know, just eighty percent, you're fine. You don't need to be any more than that off the start or something like that." So yeah, you just use people around you, coaches, crewmate, and things like that to help you out and get a lot of advice from people. So talk me through that support. Role modelling, I think, is a is a great behaviour that sports people go through or when they become older and you've spoken about your mentor, kind of give back to the sport. So do you, can you identify role modelling behaviour that you've seen and thought, yes, that's what I'm striving towards or yes, that's really given me an insight into what I need to be doing. Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, we have Fran, who's our mentor, and she's done five Olympics and, you know, um, won medals along the way and things like that. So, yeah, I use her as some someone that I aspire to be and things like that, and she gives me advice and, and helps me work through things and things like that. Um, but, yeah, also my other crewmates, they have been rowing longer than me, have a few more medals maybe or and things like that. So I... I aspire to be like them. Uh, other teams around the world, we look at videos of other teams racing, how they've done it, you know, things like that. So we really look at everything. And yeah, I'm always looking at how other people are doing it and how maybe that might make us better or actually that was not what really what we want to do. So we're always analysing everything. And I try and use all the resources around me and people that have been before um, you know, I know quite a few Olympians that have been foreign rowing, so you can just talk to them and get advice and things like that. So you've talked there about the squad and the team that is around you, but how are you considered as an individual? You will have your own strengths and areas to develop, but in, say, a boat of two or four and eight, you still need to focus on what you are bringing to that boat so how do you think your individual needs are considered within that environment? Um, yeah, we're definitely considered, we're all doing the same training programme, but we're definitely considered individuals. And yeah, at the end of the day, we all need to do the same work as a squad. And then in the crew, yeah, we all need to work together. Um, but yeah, I think you just work with the coaches, the physiologists, your crewmates for so long and so much. I think I see my crewmates more than I see my boyfriend and definitely more than I see my parents. I only get to see them twice a year. So I think you just learn and everyone is an individual and you know, you know, what pushes some people's buttons when you should back off because someone's getting a bit stressed. We just know each other so well um, and the coaches all know us and how different people in a crew work and some people need a bit more positivity some people don't you know like some people need a bit more encouragement I think we we just know each other so well but yeah I just think we just all know each each individual trait and talk to me about that 80 percent because as an athlete you're competitive I would suggest everyone in that board is competitive let's just say you start pulling in 81%. The person behind you thinks, ooh, Georgie's pulling a bit harder. Well, I'm going to pull a bit harder. So she starts pulling in 82%. And the two either side of you think, well, you two do. I'm going to start pulling in 83%. How are you managing that that motivation, that work rate, that, that belief sometimes if you're in a race that, you know, you... you 
look to your left or your right or you're seeing your peripheral vision, you know, another boat is gaining on you. And you know the tactic is the third 500 is the key. That's when you are going to go as a boat, as a team. But you see that boat creeping. Your motivation is, well, we need to pull a little bit harder. You know, I know you have your tactics and you're probably going to stick to that, but you're human and you're going to see that boat moving up. How are you managing that that effort and that motivation in the boat in split seconds of a race? We don't need to think too much in the race because we have practiced that race plan and different scenarios so many times that it just becomes second nature. It's 8% at the start of the race, so I don't pull the riggers off. And then through the middle of the race, yeah, you've got to be 100%, you know, and we're all going to be doing that. And we all know we have so much trust in our boat that everyone is working their hardest. Um, but also in the middle of the race, yeah, I might be giving 100%. I'm like, I need a bit more because, yeah, we need to find some more speed and stuff. So what are those processes that I can do better? Can I keep my arms longer? Can I get my legs down faster? Can I do better at, at leading the rhythm from the stroke seat, you know? Yeah, and I think in my crew, because we've done it so many times, we just know what each other is thinking. And Hannah's calling the race plan. And so we all, you actually with the race plan, we have a very set race plan that we do every race. And that really blocks out what everyone else around us is doing. So actually in my race in that final of the World Championships, I didn't really look at the other boats because I know that if we went from A to B with that race plan as quickly as possible, then that would hopefully get us in the position and we need to think about how we're going. You don't want to waste energy by looking at other boats. Um, And in the race plan, there's pushes and we all push together. There's calls and we all do a certain thing together. Everything is together and we don't really have much time to be doubting of whether someone's doing what she's doing, why she's pulling harder and what she's doing, because we, we have this race plan that we're all doing together. I think it's having a race plan, it's it's like called mental blocking or something like that, where that's all you can think about. You don't have time to think about anything else. So we're all in that boat, in that moment together, and we know what's going on. So, yeah, I think a race plan, you don't have time to think. And does that race plan change at all, or... Are you always going to be, right, the GB boat do this, for example, they pull really hard for the first 500 and then hang on, or the GB boat always do the full 500 really quick, they make up ground, and that's where they win the race. Is is that race plan always the same for your boat, or does it change depending on conditions, who you're racing, what the, the regatta is? Um, It's usually always about-ish the same and yeah we will go in and we'll look at conditions and we'll have a pre-race chat with the coach and he'll say oh we need to look at this you need to look at that and then after the races we'll look at what other crews have been doing where they're moving but every single crew I'd say around the world has a set race plan and yeah someone might move in the second 500 someone might move in the third 500 and everyone's kind of got their own individual style so yeah we do we just try and stick to our race plan um and it does change slightly but not massively. So if you have a set race plan, where do you get intellectual stimulation from your sport? And do you need intellectual stimulation from your sport or do you get it elsewhere? Um, I think in a race, you really don't need it. Um, I think you've got so much going on that actually you don't need, you just, well, the stimulation is the race plan and we're going through that. Um, You don't want outside stimulation because that's a waste of energy in a race. You need everything to be going into that stroke at that moment. You don't want a distraction or stimulation from anywhere. I think everything else leading up to that, you have so much, because we are assessing everything. Can we do this better? Can we do that better? What will this do? What will that do? So we have a lot of stimulation. The coach says, can you do this? Can we do that better? Georgia, keep your arms straighter. Oh, what does that do? I'll try that, you know, and, and things. So we have so much intellectual stimulation throughout the year and you don't want it in the race you just want to be completely on that one stroke that you're doing um, and nothing else matters so so talk me through that race day then what is your pre-performance routine do you have self-talk are you superstitious you have to put your left hand um, through your vest first before your right arm goes through talk me through race day and what it looks like for you 
So that is also really individual. No person is the same. Me personally, I don't like music. It's just too much. I, get, I just get overstimulated because I've already got so many thoughts going through my head and so many nerves and things like that, that I don't need any extra words or music or anything in my ears. So I normally just kind of am very quiet, take myself off, don't really do much chatting. And I'm going through the race plan in my head and just thinking about the first stroke and things. And I try not to overthink it. Um, but I personally just like to be quiet. But Lola and my crew, she likes listening to music and she likes to, you know, be around everyone. Some other crews, um, some of my friends, they like listening to other people, like the men's squad. They're all kind of chatting rubbish and stuff like that. And they just like taking their mind off by listening to them and being like, what are you doing? You know, everyone's so individual. But me personally, I just like um, going off by myself and just being a bit quiet. Um, and being very organised and knowing exactly what I need, where I need to be and when and things like that. Um, and then everything's sorted out and all I need to think about is that first stroke. And when you're thinking about that first stroke, are you first person? Or are you, you know, looking at yourself in the boat or are you third person where you're possibly stood on the side and watching yourself? How, how does that imagery work for you? Um, yeah, I'm the person in the boat and what I need to do. I don't really, I've never really thought of it of being outside the boat, but yeah, I'm the person in the boat and how am I going to do that first stroke to the best of my ability? And all you can think about is the stroke that you're on. There's no point thinking about 10 strokes down the way because that's just distraction on what you're doing now. So you just need to be really present and think about you there and now and how you can make that the best it can be. And speaking about being present is there anything you do with your psychologist to focus on that? Because, again, someone that's never operated at the level that you do, I might imagine in, if you're an Olympic final or a world final, there's a lot of thoughts going on in your head. Like you said, am I thinking about 10 strokes down the line? Am I thinking about the third 500? What strategies are you using to be present? Um, we do a lot of work on like red blur- red brain, blue brain and uh, the chimp brain and things like that. And we want to stay in our blue brain, which is very unemotional, very logical. Just think about what we do and kind of want to block out. The red brain and the chimp brain can be very useful, but it's very emotional and does very knee-jerk reactions. So we do a lot of work on my chimp brain was quite bad and I was quite anxious and things like that so I've done loads of work of how to just kind of bypass that and get to the blue brain and think logically um so yeah I think that concept is really important to me of how I can just stay in my blue brain stay calm stay on the stroke I'm on if something goes wrong how do we deal with it we don't panic yeah I think that is one of the main things that really taught me how to stay calm and when you're imagining that first stroke or you're actually on the start line now, now and the oar is in the water, are you calm? Are you just chatting yourself through a few coaching cues? Are you, you know, saying a little mantra to yourself? How are you remaining calm and, and, and present? Um, yeah, I am. I used to not be calm, but I am calm now. And yeah, all I think about is that first stroke and those processes. There's no point thinking about the outcome and what will happen because you have no idea. Yeah, and also you'll deal with whatever happens. If something bad happens in the race, you will deal with it there and then. There's no point imagining what might happen in the race because it hasn't happened and probably won't happen. Um, So yeah, I just like to think of that first stroke and maybe two or three processes I know that I can improve. Very simple what I can be thinking of during the race but as I say you don't need to think about much during the race because it's in that race plan and we're so drilled into thinking about that race plan that it just kind of happens anyway and we all do it together. And talking about that recognising something could go wrong you often hear athletes doing a pre-mortem you know what happens if I forget my shoes or what happens if I forget my goggles or for yourself it could be what happens if I catch a crab? Do you actively go through 
those scenarios during training or is it a process of that will happen because of the volume of training that you do that those mistakes or those things will occur and you can rectify them there and then um yeah i mean we train so much so yeah some mistakes are going to happen you don't know what will happen in a race but we just know that we we'll, we will deal with it when we come to it but i try not to think too much about it because then i'll spiral and then i'll you know anxiety will kick in and and then you'll never get anywhere so i know i can deal with it if it happens and that's all i really need to know i, I try not to think about it too much um if it does happen i'll deal with it and is it a collective dealing with it or do you all trust each other that, right, this has happened to Georgie, she's going to fix it. We, we know that we just continue our processes. How, how is it individual or a, a boat task of solving that problem? Um, it kind of depends. I suppose if something happened, like I forgot my straight coach or something like that, as a crew, we would all sort it out and I'd just borrow someone else's. But you probably, I mean, touch wood, usually wouldn't. You say we're organised and you have lists the night before, get everything ready the night before, but nothing is rushed particularly, so hopefully that wouldn't happen. Um, I think if something happened during a race, so I lost a blade, caught a crab, something like that, then the whole crew would probably have to stop rowing and then we'd just get started, restart again, you know. Hannah is a person that's making the calls and calling the race plan on the boat. Um, she's a very quick thinker, so she would probably be like, right, guys, we need to do this, right, we're ready to go, you know. Um, so, yeah, I feel like if you're in a crew boat, if there's a problem, we all sort it out together. I don't think there's any point doing it individually um, because that's not going to get you anywhere. You all need to do it together. And just bringing the conversation to a close now, could you summarise your thoughts on your own athlete journey and possibly provide one piece of advice relating to physical aspect psychological and social environmental that someone listening could take to their environment or performance to hopefully improve i think the physical aspect winning doesn't come free and you have to work hard and it sport is really hard and winning is hard and so i just think do your best in every single session and um, but also like listen to your body and if you can't push on that day that is also also fine but yeah I think ultimately work hard I think psychologically um, I think you need to be resilient I think you need to be relentless and you need to be confident in yourself you need to back yourself because especially in a sport where you're competing against each other no one will really back you apart from yourself you're your biggest backer and obviously maybe your family and support but yeah, there are squad's values to be resilient, relentless and confident. And I think that's something that they're really three really strong words that any athlete could benefit from. And I think environmental, you need to have a good team around you and get support from friends and family and things like that. Being an athlete is a really hard job um, and I don't think you can do it on your own um, I do think you need support from other people so I have the most supportive boyfriend in the world that cooks sorts my food out and does everything for me and I couldn't do it without him you know so I do think that just around you surround you surround yourself with people that will support you and enable you to do it because it really is a team thing you need each individual also needs a team behind them and then also you've got all your coaching and use everyone I think and take things from every single person around you. And just before you go, talk me through the next six months, because I know the Olympics is on the horizon. So talk me through what that looks like for you that is hopefully going to go and win an Olympic gold medal. Um, what have we got coming up? So we go home in about a week from our training camp here, and then we have a month of training at home. And then we go to World Cup 1 and we'll be racing there. Then we'll go to the Europeans and we'll do some racing there. Then we've got World Cup 2. And then we go on a big five or six week training camp um, in Italy, I believe. Um, and then from there, we'll go straight to the Olympics. So it's really jam-packed from now until July, August when we finish. And 
are those races important? I know this sounds a stupid question, but I'm thinking of, are you going to those races and just fine-tuning things and thinking, right, we've done all the preparation, we don't really care about the result, this is just about fine-tuning things, or are you going to those races thinking, it's Olympic year, we are going to go and put down a marker and dominate other crews thinking, right, GB have won already? Yeah, um, it's a bit of both, really. Um, we do a lot of testing internally against each other, you know, doubles racing against each other, things like that at Camersham where we train. Um, and then you go to World Cups and then you test yourself against the world, like new techniques or anything like that will test against the world. And then, yeah, you've got the Olympics. But as you say, we are at the moment world champions in the quad. So also we want to be, we want to keep that throughout, you know, dominate this season so it is a bit of both you know if if it doesn't go so well at a world cup it's not the end of the world and we tried something and it maybe didn't go so well so we won't do that again next time it's it's a bit of both i think there's no answer to that question i think it's a bit of everything well thank you so much for your time this morning i wish you the best of luck for paris i'll definitely keep an eye out for the result thank you thanks <laughs>